we really, I believe as the days progress and the weeks progress, we're going to become more and more dependent on the prayers of our brothers and sisters. It's going to be important. It's going to become visible evidence that we are strengthened because of the prayers of one another. And I think that God is raising up a great army. I said a great army that's going to help us to be able to reconnect our theme this year for our winds conference last year it was a rise in october this year it's going to be even bigger even greater and our theme is uh, reconnect and uh, of course we know when those winds blew and we read about that in the book of ezekiel whenever that prophet received that interpretation of that vision that army rose up and those bones all came back together and connected reconnected and a great army came up out of that valley. God's raising up a great army. We're going to get reconnected and we're going to be able to realize the strength that we have with one another. And I believe that God's going to use the body of Christ in these last days for a tremendous, unheralded, unparalleled revival. God's going to give us and I'm glad that we're a part of it. Romans chapter 4 and verse 19. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body, now dead. When he was about an hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded. Oh, I like that. I just like that phrase, fully persuaded. That what he had promised, he was able also to perform. And therefore, it was imputed to him. That word imputed means it was credited to him for righteousness. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him. Of course, this is still referring to Abraham. But for us also. To whom it shall be imputed or credited. If we believe on him. That raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. Who was delivered. For our offenses. And was raised again. For our justification. They've sang about it tonight. And it's reaffirmed in my heart. This word that I wanted to give to you from the book of Romans tonight, I want to talk about a moment of mercy, a moment of mercy. Would you bow your heads and pray, Lord, we're so thankful to be in your house tonight, thankful for your anointing, your presence, your spirit, already the work that you have done. We ask you now, Lord, as we just season that divine move of your spirit with the word of God, that it would come together in our hearts and spirit like an internal combustion. And that, Lord, there would be an explosion of faith and worship that would culminate this service. Let it be, God, to bring you glory and praise for all things. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Seems curious that the Apostle Paul, who wrote Romans, refers to Christ being delivered at Calvary. Not just delivered but delivered for our offenses. Just a courtesy glimpse of Calvary would make most people think of that crucifixion as a captivity. 
death as the final blow, the ultimate prison. Oh, but God's ways are higher than man's ways. What we see as being a prison, the writer of Romans describes as a breakthrough. I remember as a young man, even before I was 20 years old, being challenged by one of our leaders in the United Pentecostal Church to study grace. I remember this man who is very respected in our fellowship, has since died and gone on to be with the Lord, but I remember as a boy him coming and speaking at our church for special occasions. I remember his close friendship with my father his leadership in our movement. And so as a young man, he pulled me aside and he said, I want you to study grace. I want you to preach on grace. We have not yet fully comprehended how grace should be a part of each of us in this New Testament church. I I was not really sure of that assignment. I had not even been preaching, but maybe a year. But I had recently committed the book of Romans to memory through my senior year of Bible quizzing, and so I thought I would start there. I found that there was throughout the book of Romans a revelation of grace and and even mercy. And I know that there is a slight distinction between grace and mercy, but For the purposes of tonight's presentation, I'd like to speak of those as going together in God's uh, description and the attributes of his love for us is demonstrated through both grace and mercy. Where would we be without the grace and mercy of our God? From the very beginning, even in the Old Testament, it was clear for there to be freedom Something had to die. A sacrifice had to be given. A price had to be paid. We understand that. We learn of it from the perspective of the law. Justice has to be paid. Sin has a bill, a consequence. And for us, the death of an animal in sacrifice, or even a life in submission, was somehow a requirement. What I would ask for you to consider tonight is that That sacrifice, that submission, that death is actually mercy in disguise. Grace with a garment of repentance. This understanding is couched in a revelation that true deliverance requires something to die. You can't even approach God without your will losing its preeminence. We have to pray, even as Jesus did, not my will, but thy will be done. The captivity of sin keeps humanity in chains. But the Word of God reveals a solution. It is unveiled in the mercy and the love of God. Somewhere between the railing and the nailing, one of the other thieves who hung close to Jesus realized that he was on the wrong cross and he experienced a change of heart in the twelfth hour of his life. Neither Matthew nor Mark records the incident. Even John who was there made no mention of it. 
Only Luke, who was not there, recorded the interaction between the dying sinner and the dying Savior. Luke's rendition is of interest for, among other reasons, he was reporting what eyewitnesses remembered about that event at a later date. In Luke's own testimony, in chapter 1 of the gospel that bears his name, verses 1 and 2, it says he wishes to record events as told to him by eyewitnesses, and I quote, those things which are most assuredly believed among us. As one writer said, apparently enough eyewitnesses at the crucifixion were so affected by the mercy manifested by Christ that the incident became ingrained in early church history. Another writer wrote, and I quote in an article that he titled Outlaws at the Cross. He said, somewhere in the crumbling tower of this crucified crook's ruined temple, the bell of conscience still toiled a sorrowful confession of his sins. End of quote. From a dying sinner's lips to a dying Savior's ear. From the man who faced eternal punishment to the God who gives eternal life. Came a desperate, pleading voice from the edge of eternity. Lord, remember me. I'm so thankful that in a moment of mercy, God robed in flesh in his suffering time, in his hour of distress, he still had redemption flowing through his veins. When none would extend mercy to him, he still had mercy in him and gave it to another. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, where would we be except a moment of mercy? Something that caused us to be stopped from the destiny that we were on and to give you and I another chance. It only takes one moment of mercy. That's all we need for our whole world to change. Then from a dying Savior's lips to a dying sinner's ear came an answer. An answer bursting with promise. Between the recorded historical record of three deaths on a hill called Golgotha, a transaction, a mutual exchange in the world of eternity reveals an agreement between justice and grace. Two things that seemingly are diametrically opposed to each other comes an agreement that only eternity will reveal. An agreement between justice and grace. Two titanic principles colliding together. One that proclaims that in the day that you sin, you shall surely die. And the other that states, except a grain of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. One that pronounces death as a punishment. And the other that reveals death as a part of God's plan. Ladies and gentlemen, sometimes things happen that we have no explanation for. We have no explanation for it. A week ago, Saturday, a, a van full of United Pentecostal Church young people uh, from the city of Union City, Tennessee, was on a field trip. And they were in northeast Arkansas. They were headed to the Buffalo River to be able to have a field trip of rafting and tubing down that river. They had missed their turn off, and so 
the van driver went to turn in the road and to come back and do a U-turn back to their uh, turnoff spot as they would make their way down to the river. But he looked both ways. There was a dip in the road. He didn't see that truck coming. It had gone down in the dip of the road. It was a large truck. It was carrying live fish. It had like a big tank on the back of it, somewhere akin to what you and I would think of. We see a big sanitation truck, but it was a heavy piece of equipment coming down the road. It was down in the dip of the road. Maybe it was the glare, but as it went down in the dip and that van turned and was broadside as it did its U-turn, that truck came up over the hill and hit that van broadside full of all of those young people. I talked to the pastor of that church a few days ago. It was, it was a small church just uh, in the uh, western part of Tennessee. And the pastor told me, he said, in over 50 years of pastoring, I've never had anything like this that I can, I can really describe. I've never had to encounter anything like this before. I said, how are the kids doing? He said, most of them are okay. They've come home. And he said, they're already uh, getting ready to go to camp. They want to go to camp this week. He said, they, they want to go to camp. They've got a speaker down there by the name of Chris Green. I said, tell them to go to camp. <laughs> Brother Green will minister to them. And uh, he said there were three of them that were airlifted to uh, hospitals and two of them in Memphis and one of them up in St. Louis. And so we checked on them each day. And as they made their way through, it it now appears that there will be no fatalities. Two of them have already been released. Another young girl who's a Bible quizzer that was in the worst shape in uh, the Children's Hospital in Memphis, Tennessee, uh, it looks like she's going to be coming home this week. This pastor told me, he said, I, I, I've received three different calls from three different ministers that did not know the situation that we were uh, involved in in terms of where the van was headed. One of them, he said, was on Saturday night from Brother David Bernard, our general superintendent. But he said on three different occasions, three different ministers, none of them in concert with the other all of them said the lord spoke to them and told them that this accident was a hand of god upon them to prevent some children from drowning in that river it was during the time that that storm had come down across the southeast i know we were driving back from georgia a week ago saturday and we got in that there was a part of it that we were in and it was just ferocious there was another van that was loaded down in alabama with some young people from a boys and girls club and about seven or eight of those young girls died in another horrific accident. It was in the middle of that where that raging river would be flowing at the top of its capacity. And these ministers, not knowing that they were even headed to the Buffalo River, according to this pastor, said they prayed about it and began to pray for our church. And the Lord said, I spared lives that would have lost in that, that river. Just a moment of mercy. But sometimes a moment of mercy is not what it appears to be. It appeared that this was a tragedy. It appeared that this was an accident that would have uh, horrific consequences. Because sometimes that moment of mercy, it wears a garment that disguises itself. And you don't realize that God's hand is at work. Even when you get a negative report from a doctor, you don't realize that God's hand is at work. 
You don't realize that a moment of mercy can be couched in an unfavorable report. But ladies and gentlemen, when it's all said and done, it's still the mighty hand of God that sets every one of us free. Whether in this life or in the life to come. Paul said, if I live, it's Christ. If I die, it's gain. I'm going to be a winner either way. But I'm so thankful that I know that there is a God. That even when I'm facing a situation that I have no explanation for, I realize that it is the mercy of God that is still at work. So from Golgotha's gory hill, Christ entered the glory world bearing the soul of an outlaw that he found at the cross. What the outlaw did not realize was the close association between justice and grace. Perhaps they had never been closer. Justice and grace both coming together. Justice being satisfied. But perhaps grace got the better deal. Justice took its toll for the immediate as both hung on the cross and gave up the ghost. But ultimately grace had the final state. Oh, I feel in the Holy Ghost tonight to declare to somebody in this audience that grace is going to have the final say. I said grace is going to have a final say. A closer examination may reveal that this garment, this garment that grace wears is sometimes even clothed in death. Is it possible that something indeed does have to die for grace and mercy to be manifested in our life? The Apostle Paul said, I die daily. He said, I die daily. And yet this death was the source of his victorious life. Not life as existence, but life as in abundant grace. When he was reminded of his past, he had to die daily. When you and I are reminded of our past, you got to die daily. You got to say, not my will, but thy will be done. You got to put everything at the altar. You got to put it all on the cross. And there may be some things that you're holding on to that God's saying, you got to let it go. Because if you let it go, you'll see my mercy. You'll see my grace. You'll see that I'm not forsaking you or forgotten you in the midnight hour. I'm still the God that can speak the words into your life. God is still at work. He's still working in the hearts of every one of our lives. And we have to learn to celebrate every victory. I, I remember a reference to an article that a sports writer wrote after a collegiate football championship in 2009. The writer was commenting on a field goal that won the game, and he made this statement. He said, endings are imposed, but finishes are celebrated. Endings are imposed on us, but finishes are celebrated. What may appear to be an ending is actually a finish. Paul said, I have finished my course. Jesus said, it is finished. What happened at Calvary was not an ending. It was a beginning. I want to preach to somebody tonight. It's not an ending. It may be a finish, but it's not an ending. It's to be celebrated. Because it's God who has walked with us every step of the way. It's the garment of grace that is celebrating a finished work. It is a moment of mercy that's being given to you and I. To give you and I a chance to say, Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that it be is. 
I don't know how we can look at Calvary and see the blessing from our natural life. But we've lived long enough and we've experienced Calvary and we've experienced salvation on enough levels that you and I today in 2021 can say indeed Calvary is a celebration. We celebrate that by His stripes we are healed. We celebrate that our sins are forgiven by the blood of Calvary. Paul said it this way in Romans 3 and verse 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by His grace. Freely by His grace. How? Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. 2 Samuel 12 records that when King David committed adultery with Bathsheba and then had her husband killed in battle. A child was conceived from this relationship. And the prophet Nathan said to the king, O king, the child will not live. David fasted and prayed for seven days. And after seven days, the child died. He got up and washed his face. came to the table and all of his staff looked at him. Many of them tried to figure out how he could change so quickly from being in a place of sorrow and interceding to a place of accepting the conclusion of this child's life. They inquired about it and they asked him. He said, while the child was alive, God being a merciful God, I could intercede and ask if indeed the life could be spared. He said, but now that the life has been taken, the child can't come to me, but I can go to it. Many theologians have viewed this death as a punishment for the sin. What they do not understand is that this death was a moment of mercy. It was an act of mercy. The Lord protected that child from the humiliation that his entire life, his identity would be defined by the sin of his parents. The whispers, the sneers. There goes the little child that was conceived in sin. No, that child was spared the hurts of humanity on this earth. He got a passport to heaven. He got a direct pass. Grace cloaked as death. David said, he cannot come to me, but I can go to him. A confession, a revelation that the child was in heaven. The next child born from those two parents was Solomon. A boy who would become king and rule Israel. Rich, wise, and powerful. But perhaps he never received the reward that that child before him received. Ladies and gentlemen, you and I may not ever understand some things in this life. But if you can look deep into your soul and look deep into the Word of God, you'll find that there is a merciful God. Hallelujah. 
A child that wore the veil of death, but heaven knew it as a garment of grace. A moment of mercy that extended beyond the natural understanding of man so that David could rise up and say, it's time to eat. This was an ending that was imposed on me, but it was a finish that one day we're going to celebrate as we sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and we are reunited with our loved ones. But as for now, you and I can rejoice in the mercy of God that defies our natural understanding oh you ought to lift your hands right now and begin to worship him and thank God for everything that does not make sense Woo, Jesus hallelujah Jesus Paul explains it in the text that we read from Romans 4. The promise of Isaac came from the death of Abraham's body and the death of Sarah's womb. The promise was born in death. This is why Isaac had to be offered as a sacrifice. The imputing or the, or the crediting, the fulfillment of that promise could not take place until it was offered on an altar. Because that promise had been conceived in the context of death. And so that promise had to make its way up the top of Mount Moriah. I wonder what it is that's keeping us alive. What is it that keeps the joy burning in our heart and soul? Is it just circumstances that are still in a favorable position? If it's only that, it'll be fleeting because life has ebbs and flows, good days and bad days. But when a child of God has a revelation that, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. When a man or a woman has a revelation that God is still at work, though I cannot see his hand and I do not understand the outcome. What is it that God is trying to do? You've got to understand that here's something beyond this world, something beyond this life. What do you have on spiritual life support that God is trying to take out of your life? Maybe it's a habit. Maybe it's an emotion. Maybe it's a belief. I've come to tell you, in a moment of mercy, God may take it from you. Do not be discouraged. Do not be despondent. It is God that is saying, I'm at work in every situation in your life and in my life. It's all around. Around us. All we've got to do is let it go and say, I'm going to bless the Lord anyhow. I'm going to take it to an altar. I'm going to give it to God. And I'm going to say, Lord, you give it and you take it. But blessed be the name of the Lord. I rejoice in your mercy. Would you stand to your feet tonight? I feel tonight that we should conclude this service by rejoicing, by thanking the Lord. I'm asking you to step out of where you're standing right now and come down to this altar. And for the next 10 minutes, I ask that you would lift your hands and your voices. And if you would begin to worship the Lord, maybe it's through pain, maybe it's through misunderstanding. Maybe you say, Pastor, I've gone through such a heavy time, I don't know if I can. But I've come to tell you that if you'll begin to rejoice, God is going to open up your eyes and your understanding. You're going to begin to see that the mercy of God is at work. You're going to begin to see that God's going to give you an understanding of His grace. It is sufficient. It's all we need. 
I will bless the Lord at all times. Come on, that's it. Use your voice right now and begin to thank Him. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for your love. You are great and a holy God. I believe you touched me tonight, oh God. But if there's something else that's at work, God, I'll trust you anyhow. I'll believe you anyhow, Lord. I'll worship you with or without an answer. I'll say you are great and greatly to be praised. You don't have to do another thing for us, Lord. You don't have to perform another miracle. We're going to bless you anyhow, God. We're going to worship you anyhow, oh Lord. In the name of Jesus.